the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come down on me. Thus far the psalmist, your arrows, O Lord, are sticking out of me. Your hand, O Lord, is crushing down upon me. One of the deepest mysteries in all of theology, indeed of our lives as Christians, is the mystery of suffering. If we are accustomed, as is so often the case, to laying the blame for our suffering at the feet of Satan, or at the feet of a fallen and broken world, or at the feet of ourselves on account of our own sins or our sinful nature, then Psalm 32 can throw us for quite a loop. Here we are instructed to pray to God saying, Your arrows have sunk into me. Your hand has come down upon me. Can we actually lay our sufferings before God and say, You, In seeking an answer, greater understanding, we might turn to that text on suffering, the book of Job, and ask the question of causation. We know, of course, that God does not cause sin. But does God cause suffering? We might recall how greatly Job suffered and yet ask if the suffering of Job was in fact caused by those wicked men that swept down and destroyed his animals and his servants? Or was the suffering of Job in fact caused by that freak windstorm that brought the roof down upon the heads of his children, killing them? Can we lay the blame on the wickedness of man Can we lay the blame on the fallen world and its disordered weather patterns? Or would we become more introspective? Accuse Job of his own personal sins. That's the ultimate cause of his personal suffering. But this is exactly what his three friends suggest. No, the text tells us very plainly that all of this came upon Job because of Satan. So then, Satan is actually to blame. But Job's wife, of all people, knew better. Men and weather and even Satan himself can only do what God permits them to do. So she pointed Job to the one who had allowed it all to happen, who gave his assent, who lifted not a finger to stop any of it. And she said to her husband, curse God and die. Job thought her suggestion to curse God was rather foolish, and he said so. But he didn't contradict her underlying point, namely, that God was the ultimate cause of all of it. He says, 
Shall we receive good from God, but not also evil? And by the end of the book of Job, the Holy Spirit confirms it. Job was comforted, quote, for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. Again, one of the deepest mysteries of all theology and of our very lives is suffering. Because once we've laid the blame on sin generally or sin specifically, on fallen man generally or fallen man specifically, on the fallen world or the wickedness of the demons and Satan, we have still not yet found the ultimate source. Your arrows, O Lord, have sunk into me. Your hand, O Lord, has come down on me as Psalm 32 teaches us to pray. What Job and the psalmist teach, Luther also teaches, and he summarizes it this way. He writes, In all trials and afflictions, man should first of all run to God. He should realize and accept the fact that everything is sent by God whether it comes from the devil or from man. Luther's point, the scripture's point, is of course quite counterintuitive. And at least, at first, it all strikes us as impious and wrong. But until we have understood our suffering as coming from the hand of God, we've not yet begun to understand it. God afflicts us, astonishingly, not to drive us away, but to draw us nearer. He afflicts us not to make us less, to kill and damn us. He afflicts us to make us more, to save and restore us. Our Lord Jesus, when he was falsely accused and beaten by the Jews, when he was scourged and crucified by the Gentiles, he didn't pray, why are they doing this to me? But rather, why are you doing this to me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I have no intention in this sermon of laying out any kind of exhaustive biblical doctrine of suffering, if such a thing even exists. Nor am I interested in refuting all of the wrong ways that people, especially modern Christians, think about suffering, speak about suffering, and console those who are suffering, usually with platitudes and misapplied Bible verses that do more harm than good. Some of you have been at the receiving end of that. Rather, in this sermon, I want only to teach what Psalm 32 teaches us to do. That is, to lay our suffering before God, just as the psalmist, just as Christ. For in so doing, we are one with Christ, and we begin to pray as Christ prays, and we begin to learn from Him. 
We can also learn from Job, who is a type and foreshadowing of Christ. And from him we can learn of Satan's great wager against man. Namely, that Old Testament saints and New Testament saints, that Job and you and even Jesus don't really love God. You just love all the good stuff that God gives. Thus, laying our suffering before God, receiving it from Him, and loving Him still, we defeat Satan and worship God as He deserves. It is quite obvious, no doubt, to every one of us here that Christ alone does this perfectly and completely. In fact, here we can see precisely how far we truly are from being righteous in ourselves or having any kind of righteousness of our own. But this is why the scriptures say that Christ is our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. We are covered by him, clothed in him, safe in him, and thus also safe to learn from him, to grow in him, and to be conformed to him. And above all, this has to do with clinging to the very God who afflicts us. Indeed, the more he pushes us away, the more fervently we must draw near, just as Christ. Love, we discover, is much deeper than how we might feel. Our vocations teach us this as well. That's why every vocation is, in fact, a mini-cross. The Lord gives us all that we have ever had, everything, and then, as old age or calamity shows, one by one he takes those gifts back. And after taking each gift back, it is as if he says, you still have me, and I am more than enough. The Lord gives. Will we not also be his when he takes away? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but can we, with Christ, with the psalmist, with Job, say, blessed is the name of the Lord? We have no doubt all had occasion to lament what the psalmist himself laments, that in our hour of need, friends and companions have a tendency to disappear. Enemies have a tendency to see our vulnerability and attack. The disciples abandoned Jesus. The Pharisees, who were jealous of him, saw their opportunity to ensnare and capture him. But Jesus did not curse them, neither his fair-weather friends nor his opportunistic enemies. Like a deaf and mute man, like a lamb before its shearers is silent, so our Lord opened not his mouth. Instead, he turned his mouth toward God 
and prayed, but for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord my God, who will answer. In other words, our Lord turned to his Lord. The Son turned to the Father, and so must we. It is your arrows that have sunk into me. It is your hand that is upon me. Yet for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. In learning to pray Psalm 32, we learn something we would never set out to learn. We learn to suffer as Jesus suffered and to pray as Jesus prays, laying both our suffering and our salvation in the hands of God, trusting him more than we trust ourselves, trusting that he is good well beyond our human definition of what good might be. Let us come not only to suffer with Jesus and pray with him, but thus also to see in him the perfect man. Of course, how far we are from being this ourselves. But thus also to marvel at his great love for God and for man, for poor, miserable sinners such as we. His love so great that he would unite himself with us, teaching us how to suffer and how to pray, ultimately teaching us how to die, commending our spirits and all things into his gracious hands. And in uniting himself with us so intimately, his perfect love for the Father is given and shared with us. His perfect righteousness and innocence are given and shared with us. His holy and innocent sufferings sanctify our sufferings as well. His cross make our crosses praiseworthy and glorious in the sight of our Father. Suffering in faith is in fact the highest worship given to man. When the aged lie in their beds, wondering, how long, O Lord, and why have you not taken me yet? We see in them the highest worship given to man. Faith in the midst of suffering. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his Son into the world so that we might live through him. Let us indeed live through him and with him and in him, being conformed into his image and learning from him how to suffer in faithfulness and how to pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.